You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Thank you. Job well done. I will be able to tell Jessica about that. And it is a privilege for me to be with you, uh, to hear um, Jamin, his heart for you, uh, Adam, as they pray, they think about you, they ask questions, they uh, seek the Lord on your behalf. In the midst of their felt weakness, looking to the Lord's strength, uh, it's really a privilege to be able to be here and uh, to see uh, the people that they love. And so thank you for welcoming me. I've turned to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If uh, the Bible's new to you, uh, Ecclesiastes could sound kind of strange, but it's a, a, this a book of wisdom located in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm thinking about the theme of wisdom and rest. Uh, from Ecclesiastes 10. And um, I think why we need wisdom with rest is because so many of us feel unrested, um, unsettled. I think part of that is cultural. The cultural story that we're hearing uh, puts us at this strange cross pressure. On the one hand, we're told to not be like anybody else, to have an extraordinary life, to stand out, to show how we're unique, and to hit it hard and early and never let up, and to demonstrate all of that about ourselves. And on the other hand, we're told to be chill, enjoy the simple things, simplify life, have your own adventure, and these kinds of things. And we're just, which is it? What are we supposed to be? And so culturally, we have a, a, a frazzled uh, message there. But personally, uh, just think about the different life seasons that we're in. For some of us, um, the, we have kids, and uh, it seems like every child has their own schedule. Everyone in the house has their own schedule, a weekend full of sports activities, things like that. It feels like everyone has to be somewhere um, all at once. Uh, some of us, uh, like myself, uh, wrestle with anxiety. Uh, we're just tired of being afraid. We wish we were less agitated than we were. We just, could we finally just have some rest from the kind of agitated, trembly, vulnerable feeling that we have? Uh, others of us uh, have seasons of sickness or hardship and, um, with those we love or ourselves. And even though we may be in bed, that isn't restful. It's the effort to get well and just wanting a sense of a break and for others of us, uh, you've either, you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, right in there, and um, you've either gotten the life you've always wanted, or you're realizing you don't have the life you always wanted, and either way, you feel unrested, unsettled. Uh, for some of us, uh, the life we've always wanted uh, turns out to feel like a grind, and uh, as a friend recently said, it feels like life's getting in the way of life. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, I thought I was going to have one kind of life, but I'm in this one life. And it's the life I dreamt of when I was younger. But now there's a lot of work to this life I dreamt of when I was younger. And we're trying to find. And then others of us are looking back thinking, man, I, I am not, this, I'm not where I want to be. And we're trying to trace back and say, uh, find our best selves and imagining who we get. And all of us are just, that's, that's what we bring in to our life together, this kinds of unsettledness. And the result of all this is something kind of like this. Uh, if someone says, hey, how are you doing? This is our response. Whew. Well, I'll tell you, it's full. I mean, it's full. I mean, I'm, I'm busy, but you know, you know, I mean, we all are. I'm, but whew, yeah. 
And uh, if you say to someone, hey, how you doing? They're like, man, I'm great. I am rested. I am ready to go. I just feel awesome. We just don't like that person. (laughs) We have to ask ourselves, what's that about? What's that about? That our identity somehow is meant to be rooted in how busy we are. Uh, When I was a kid, think about this. When I was a kid, uh, we did not have something called energy drinks. That's just a generation ago. No such thing as energy drinks. When I was a kid, it was older people who needed energy. What's the number one demographic marketer's target for energy drinks? Young people. When did it happen that the energy of youth is not enough? That's the cultural story we're living in. Your energy is not enough. There has to be more. And so no wonder we're all sad, anxious, unsettled, unrested. For some of us, when we think about rest, it feels lazy. It's difficult to think about knowing how to pause. So in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 5, there's this um, statement. It says, um, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. So what you have is a leader, a cultural influencer, an anointed in Israel, a ruler, and that ruler is off. There, there's a folly in the ruler as it relates to work and rest. And because of that, proceeding from that influence, the people uh, are um, receiving that influence, and they're off too. And that's what we've just been describing, a cultural narrative that influences us in such a way that we're unrested. Now, the way that wisdom talks about the wisdom of rest is with Proverbs. So that means poetry. So if poetry is not your thing, uh, first of all, just be glad it's the sage poet that's talking here. Because if the prophet were going to come in and talk about the errors of influencers and how it seeps into the people who follow that, if the prophet was doing that, that's bad news. That's a a knock the door down, woe to you. There's no conversation. There's repentance now or consequences now, right? But because it's a sage, that's good news. That means there's time. Uh, poetry slows you down. You don't know what it means the first time you read it. That's the whole point of it. You have to slow down, reflect, ponder the path of your feet. And uh, that means there must be lots of hospitable room to sort this out and make sense of it. That's good news right from the beginning. God's heart for us is to give us room to sort out this wisdom question about rest. Isn't that kind? He's approaching it in a restful way. So we're going to see a couple basic things. First, the wisdom to rest from trying to fix everything. Second, the wisdom to rest from trying to be everywhere at once. And third, the wisdom to rest from trying to know everything. So let's begin. The wisdom to rest from trying to fix everything. It's verse eight and nine. He who digs a pit will fall into it. 
and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. What is it saying? It's an error of the leader and the influence in the culture. It's an error to think that because you're an anointed in Israel, because you're an anointed in Israel, you don't get hurt like other people do. You can, you can do things that other people can't. Uh, so, uh, but the reality is, is even if an anointed, even if one connected to God digs a pit, they can fall in. Or if they stick their hand where a snake is known to curl up in a Middle Eastern wall, they can get bit. Um, if they use tools, they can get hurt. What they're saying there is this. It's a mistake to think that because we're connected to God that we have an immunity pass. The truth is we're still limited. Um, I played uh, football which, um, in high school and a quarterback. And the thing about being a quarterback in a football team during practice is you get to wear a jersey. In my case, it was red. And getting to wear the red jersey meant that no one could hit me. It's pretty nice. No one could hit me. But game day, come game day, no red jersey, and uh, I can get hit, and the linebackers love to let you know that. You're starting to call a play, and they're telling you what they're going to do to your mama. There's no immunity. Um, Jesus, one of the things, if, if, you're, if you have questions about Jesus, if you're, if you're wondering about Jesus, one of the things that Christians find lovely about Jesus is that he, he has no red jersey. Uh, the earliest Christians described Jesus like this. They said, Jesus is God but he doesn't consider equality with God something that we could grasp. So Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself even to obedience on a cross. And because of that, the earliest Christians found this sympathy with Jesus that he was like us in every way, tempted in every way, uh, wrestling with the limits of being human in every way except without sin. And we find in him what they called a great high priest, able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus doesn't have a red jersey. And it's a mistake to believe that uh, in our culture, we can have a red jersey. We can live in such a way that we won't get hurt like other people do. Uh, that we can have the strength to fix everything uh, there's a mystery here uh, to try to say it this way. Um, sometimes uh, we get bit by a snake and in the mystery of God's sovereignty, it wasn't God who did it to you. And it wasn't the devil tempting you. It was that snakes curl up in walls in the Middle East and you stuck your hand there. You just did a foolish thing. It's really that simple. And the, the foolish thing, we get to be freed from and find a wiser way. So this um, trying to have power so that you can fix everything and never be hurt, um, theologians call that omnipotence. Omnipotence means all-powerful. And then theologians remind us that 
Omnipotence is an incommunicable attribute of God. And what that means is only God has this quality. And so what that means is only God can fix everything. It's an error of an influencer and the influence proceeding from that influencer to believe that they can fix everything. And so what that means is this. Uh, You don't have to repent because you can't fix everything. You're invited to repent because you've been trying to. And there's freedom to rest there. You no longer have to be God. You get to be an ordinary human being who can't fix everything and enter life with others who can't fix everything, looking to the one who can. The wisdom to rest from trying to fix everything. Next, the wisdom to rest from trying to be everywhere at once. It's this verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Here's the the remarkable ability of a Hebrew sage to pack an entire message into one little proverb. The big idea of the message is this, success helps one to succeed. So he's talking about how to succeed. Would you like to succeed? How to succeed. And then it gives you two paths to succeeding. One, by being explicit, and the other, therefore, by implication. Both paths are ways to succeed. One of them uh, is foolish, and the other one is wise. What's the foolish path to succeed? We don't pause in order to sharpen our tools. Uh, I have to, you know, I mow grass. And uh, eventually, you have to sharpen the blade. I don't like to. And what happens, though, if you don't pause to sharpen the blade is that it just doesn't cut as well, right? If you come into the S-Wine house and you want to cut an orange, um, I might say there's where the knives are, and then you go to try to cut the orange and something's just harder than it ought to be, it's probably because I don't know if we've ever sharpened our knives in our lives. The, the butter knives are probably 15 years old. I don't even know. And um, so you go to cut this orange and you have to use more strength, like a sharp knife, boom. You have to use more strength. This is what it's saying. It's a person who doesn't pause in order to keep going. It works for a while. But eventually they start having to use more strength than the job requires. Here's some good news. Uh, You were never meant to use more strength than the job requires. You were never meant to use more strength than the job requires. If you are using more strength than the job requires, it's a signal to you, a check engine light, that you may need to pause so that you can keep going It makes sense um, that Israel would talk like this. Uh, Solomon, the one who wrote this, uh, his daddy uh, wrote a song. Psalm 23 is how we know it. And uh, maybe you're familiar with Psalm 23. 
the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, if you know Psalm 23, what's the next line? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He He makes me lie down. There's the king of a nation, David, the military commander, saying that God gives him rest, makes him rest. Uh, I don't know about sheep, so I had to look this up and talk to people who do know about sheep. Maybe you know about sheep, but sheep don't sleep well. They don't sleep well because they're nervous about potential predators. And then apparently sheep are nervous about their relationships with one another in the flock. And so they're agitated a lot. And as a matter of fact, if a sheep falls on its back, it doesn't know how to get back up again. It'll just die there. And so it takes a wise shepherd to help a sheep sleep. And David is saying he is like an agitated, anxious person. Very humble thing for a leader to admit about himself. And God makes him lie down. Now that's no surprise that the king of Israel would talk like that because of the story of the world that Israel tells. tells that God created everything. And unlike the other nations, God gave a rhythm of life to his people. And it goes like this, I'll remind you. When God created the heavens and the earth, uh, day one, there was work and rest. Day two, work, rest. Day three, work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Rest, rest, work, rest. Do you hear it? This isn't the rhythm of the, the nations around Israel. Work and rest. And did you hear uh, at the end there? Rest, rest, rest. And then it begins again. We pause in order to keep going. And if we don't pause, it works for a while. But eventually, we're using more energy than what we're meant to. And eventually, it breaks down. You were meant to strategically pause for the sake of passionate mission. You strategically pause for a wholehearted purpose. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It doesn't seem like we were meant to burn out for God. That kind of talk in a passage like this seems like folly. We were meant to be vigorous for God, empowered. And how that comes is through the wisdom to rest from trying to be everywhere at once. Um, being everywhere at once, uh, theologians call um, omnipresence. It's an incommunicable attribute of God. <laughs> 
That means only God can do that, be everywhere at once, never having to pause, and someone else have to be there and do that. And um, so here's what I get to tell you, the good news. Uh, you don't have to repent because you can't be everywhere at once. You have to repent because you're trying to be everywhere at once, never resting, not letting someone else, not trusting someone else, not trusting someone else. And you get to be freed from that. No wonder we're wore out if we're trying to fix everything and be everywhere at once. And it comes from a foolish influencer in the culture, a, a foolish leader, and it proceeds from there. And wisdom invites us into a different story in which we are passionate and empowered, full of vigor, on mission in the context of being a child, a human being, not God. We get to become like John the Baptist. We get to stand up and say, I am not the Christ. He is. And we point to him. He's the one who can fix everything. And he's the one who is everywhere at once. The wisdom to rest from trying to fix everything. The wisdom to rest from trying to be everywhere at once. The wisdom to rest from knowing everything. Trying to know everything. Uh, trying to know uh, uh, every way to do it just right, for example. Verse 11. This is the humorous proverb, the funny one. I'll try to help you see the humor. If the serpent bites before its charm, there's no advantage to the charmer. What's that getting at is this. Let's imagine you're an entrepreneur. Uh, you want to make, you got a, you got a vision, and uh, you got the apparatus. You got, you got a carpet, you bought a basket, you got a snake in the basket. You got a costume, you got a loot. You had a good marketing plan, you got a crowd. You got a little basket there for folks to put money in. Children are watching, moms and dads, uh, grandparents are watching, people have come by, and you start to do the thing you were excited to do. You're playing the lute and you're doing your dance, whatever the dance would be, and uh, the snake starts coming up out of the basket and all the kids are watching. Has anybody ever seen the movie called Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> There's this scene in this movie where an old farmer has to put an animal down. I think it's a cow. I don't know. But he's pulling a double, he's trying to cock a double barrel shotgun uh, to put this animal down. Right as he's doing that, a school bus is coming from this way. And the camera is starting to pan back. And we see the school bus, the, the farmer lift the gun, the school bus go right by, all the kids are looking, and we hear blam, and then we hear all the kids scream, right? That's what's happening right here. That's what's happening right here in this proverb. It is, you have the apparatus, the loot, uh, you've got the basket, you've got the people, the kids are watching, you've got a way to make money, you've got the snake. And what happens is the snake comes out and just said, I'm, and it bites you right in front of everybody. And wisdom says, what was the point of that? Like, what advantage was that? You got hurt, people were sent to therapy. <laughs> it's one thing to have the apparatus. It's another thing to know how to handle the snake. 
It's one thing to have the role. It's another thing to know what you're doing. Sometimes we are trying too soon. That's what this proverb's about. Trying so hard and fast to get there. I remember I was so irritated. I was in my 30s. And an older mentor put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, Zach, you have to be 35 before you can be 40. You got to be 40 before you can be 50. You got to be 50 before you can be 60. The kind of wisdom and influence you're longing for is best offered by those who are older than you. Oh, that is humbling. And I didn't like it then. I mean, being in my 50s felt like so long away. And now I am 54. And I tried to do things too soon. And I got hurt and so did other people. Listen, if you're a younger person and you're surrounded by people who care about you and love you, I I don't mean people who have egos who won't give you a chance. That's a different message. That's a different thing. But you're surrounded by people who want you to flourish. They believe in you. They see your gifts. They know who you are. They know what you're going to do. And those people say, just wait a little longer. Boy, that's hard to hear. But can I tell you something? You've probably just been rescued. Because um, waiting a little longer means not only do you have the apparatus and the role, but you know how to handle the snake. And when that happens, when you have wisdom like that, the right timing and the right season with a wise person, less people get hurt and you get hurt less too. And this is the goodness of God. And then there's this... uh, Uh, multiplication of words, trying to know everything by having all the gifts and all the things right now. And then there's this uh, multiplication of words. It's verses 12 through 14. A fool multiplies words. That's a humbling thing to read right now because I'm talking. A fool multiplies words. It has to do with the future and vision. There's a lot to to say there, but let's just say it this way. Uh, um, I I am bothered, troubled, agitated by an email that comes on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. Actually, maybe it was written at 6.30 a.m., whatever it was. And the the title just says, Concerned. And then it starts off, Pastor, we love you, but. And then it's like 649 words, some of them in all caps and Bible verses and stuff like that. And then if I'm in a foolish posture of heart, I'm like, oh, yeah? Yeah. Isaiah, (laughs) Proverbs, all caps, Jesus, send. And then it doesn't take too long, their email comes right back. Now it's 750 words. And then I'm going right back. And this can happen by text too. 
You know, the amazing thing about that is it's been three hours and it feels like two days emotionally. And no progress is being made. Why? Because what are, what are we doing? Multiplying words. We're just multiplying words. Not able to hear each other. Not able to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to vent. All that's out the window. And we're just multiplying words. Trying to have the last word. Trying to convince the other, I'm the one who knows. And uh, that kind of thing, always having to know everything, uh, theologians call that omniscience. It's an incommunicable attribute of God. Uh, Only God knows everything. And uh, so I get to give you the good news. You don't have to repent because you don't know everything. You need to repent because you're trying to. And isn't that good news? You get to be freed from trying to fix everything, trying to be everywhere at once, trying to know everything. You were never meant to do all that. That's God's role. You get to be freed to be a human being with noble limits, made with the purpose you've been given. And somebody might say, yeah, but that scares me. What about the unfixed things? What if, what if I'm not there? If I'm not there, if I'm not there, what will happen? If I'm not there, who will? And so we never retire. We just keep holding on. Or if I don't know it, who will solve it? Who can? And at that point, you realize we're back in the Garden of Eden. The same old ancient whisper. You can be like God. Knowing good and evil and never dying. And right there we realize when I'm afraid of what I can't fix. And I'm afraid because of what I don't know. And I'm afraid because I don't know what will happen if I'm not there. At that point, we realize we're at Christianity 101. Can I turn my life over and trust the one who created me? Can I trust the one who creates all things and holds it all together? Can I trust him? And now Christianity 101 feels like a graduate class. It feels like an advanced degree. Oh my goodness. Trusting him isn't easy. And yet, it's where our freedom is. To close, there's this moment where C.S. Lewis in his Narnia stories, Aslan the lion uh, is right there by uh, water. And uh, one of the girls is thirsty. She's parched. She needs something to drink. Between her and the water is the lion. She says, uh, he says to her, you're thirsty. She says, yes. He says, you need something to drink. She says, yes. He says, come and drink. She says, no, you're a lion. He says, yes. She says, will you promise not to hurt me? 
He says, I can make no such promise. I've devoured kings and queens and nations. But you're thirsty. There's nowhere else to drink. Come. And so there you are. What do you do? You step forward, trusting that the one who isn't tame is good. And this is why followers of Jesus find the cross of Jesus so lovely. It's because Jesus paid for every time you've tried to fix everything and be like God. He has taken that upon himself. He has canceled your debt for that. And he has given you back the freedom you were meant to have to be a child of God. And Jesus has taken upon himself every time you've tried to be everywhere at once. He's canceled that debt, paid for that for you. You are freed from that now. And he is restored to you every freeing good news privilege of being at one place at one time. And Jesus is taking upon himself and paid for on the cross with his own blood every time you've tried to act like you know everything and know everything and he has canceled that. He has forgiven you from that. Freed you from that so that you are completely free now to say I don't know but he does. I can't fix it, but he can. I cannot be there, but he is. And this is our hope, our strength, our joy, our rest. And this is wisdom from God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for every mercy, every mercy. In Christ, deliver us, free us, enable us to take hold of the good and precious promises you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.